Hello, this is the More Conversations podcast with the Andrew Young Center for Global Leadership at Morehouse College. I'm your host, Stephen Seymour, and I'm speaking with Kamal Masi, an HBS graduate who co-authored a case study on African-American inequality in the U.S. that was published just a year after his graduation. He's currently about to get his start in private equity after working as a regional operations director at a leading healthcare company for the past two years. Kamal, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you doing, Stephen? I'm doing pretty well. So I actually got a chance to read your case study um, before this interview, and you cover quite a lot there. You know, you cover it all the way from slavery, the civil rights, housing policy, criminal justice, education, and the list goes on uh, to give readers a better picture for what African-American racial inequality looks like in America. And you also add some startling statistics that I think we should mention here on the podcast. Um, so firstly, you guys found that, you know, in your literature review, you found that as of 2016, the median white family had 10 times the wealth of median Black and Hispanic families. In addition, you also found some research from a 2018 study that said that 70% of middle-class African-American children were more likely to become poor than their parents and adults. This is crazy. Like, how, can you give us a view of how did we get here? Yeah, um, and really the reason why we wrote the case to begin with was because there's just a complete lack of understanding of kind of the intentional policy decisions that have been implement, implemented in the United States since, you know, post-slavery era um, that have very tangible impacts on the society in which we live in and very tangible impacts on the modern day um, construct and experience for Black Americans. And so really what we wanted to do was address that lack of understanding and lack of clarity in a very fact-based and bipartisan way. Um, And we addressed it towards the business community. And and so it was really intended to be kind of the cliff notes of 400 years of history and policy decisions that help people build the foundation for more productive discussion and conversation, which we hope will ultimately lead to understanding and action. Um, And so, Many of the pieces that are covered, as you mentioned, policy around education, policy around financial institutions and redlining, and what does that mean? Um, policy around housing, um, and how did we, how do we, how we intentionally segregated and devalued black neighborhoods? You know, forcing people into concentrated urban environments and then starving them of economic resources and investment. Um, and what that means today and how all of it is really connected in an elaborate system um, that has very real implications and you can tie it all back to policy decision. And so that was truly kind of the intent in writing it and and it was to bring all of these different pieces together in a very quick and cohesive manner. Yeah, and I think you guys did a really good job. Um, You know, being a student at Morehouse, I learned a lot about African-American history that I otherwise wouldn't have learned anywhere else. And it opened my eyes to how currently today we're still seeing those impacts um, everywhere. So to see your 
um, to read your case study and to see the impact that it's having, um, that actually makes me feel really good. So I want to focus more on the some of the implications that you mentioned at the very end. So, you know, both the achievement gap and the wealth gap. Um, as you as everyone, you know, is aware, right now in America, there's tons of institutional support um, being put behind uh, uplifting the Black community, both in professional and academic spaces. Uh, ever since the tragic killings of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, um, there's been an outpour of support. And I just wanted to get your perspective on, you know, we're a year out now. Um, we can kind of start to see some things taking hold. What's your view on what's currently going on in terms of there being a corporate response to remedy some of these issues? Yeah, I think that's an interesting question. Um, I do think what was exposed through kind of the recent tragedies and the strings of murders of Black Americans um, was kind of the lack of a skill set within many of our corporations to address and articulate what their position and stance is on these issues. Um, and then I think we also saw um, a lot of performative communication. And so to me, I think there's a very big difference between um, having the ability to acknowledge something, which to me is table stakes at this point, and really putting a tactical action plan with goals that are clearly communicated um, and resources, resources and funding behind achieving those goals. And I, I have been really inspired and hopeful to see how many companies have been willing to kind of lay out clearly this is where we're at, um, this is where we intend to go, and these are kind of the resources that we are going to put behind it to get us there. Um, and so I that I do believe that to be very inspiring, and I, I truly believe um, corporate America to be one of the most important players in closing um, both of the achievement gap and the wealth gap that exists today. And, and if we are going to ever reach a state with equitable outcomes, um, I think the solution needs to be equally as intentional as the policies that created the problem. Mm, that's a powerful statement. That's definitely a powerful statement there. So, you know, in recognizing the impact of corporate America, I definitely have to tie that into the rhetoric of my generation, where we're not interested in working nine to fives, um, some of us go to careers, but the real goal is entrepreneurship. That's that's the dream of our generation. So I kind of wanted to pick your brain as to as it relates to closing the wealth gap, what we as young people can do today. What are some opportunities and initiatives that you might see today that are opening to allow us to do that? You know, is pursuing higher education and getting a six-figure job still the dream? Or is there more that we should be considering um, in our game plan? Oh, that's a big question. Um, I think there's quite a few really exciting um, programs that have popped up and really gained prominence in the last decade or so that are working to support this, just to name a, a few, um, MLT, SEO, um, and those are just a few of them. The Forte Foundation 
And as I, I think these have really become robust pipelines for um, diverse talent entering into different sectors in corporate America that have historically been pretty homogenous um, and white and male. And so um, I, I think with the existence of these and, and the growth of these programs, we're gonna continue to see more and more opportunities to get people of color a seat at the table, um, which in turn, I think, contributes to support for the subsequent generations. Uh, in terms of the question with um, entrepreneurship, I think that's beautiful. I think that's the backbone of production and innovation within the country. And I think a lot of kind of the financial policy is set up to incentivize business ownership and entrepreneurship um, outside of uh, being a, a worker or a contributor to something that you may not have equity in. Um, but I, I also think it's very important to um, do some self-reflection and some self-evaluation in terms of one, what's your personal risk tolerance and what's your profile and appetite for risk? And two, how do you make intelligent um, thought through once you understand what the risks of your decision may be? How do you de-risk that as much as you can to, to be making intelligent decisions? And, and one of the ways that I've personally done that in my career is just making sure I'm very focused on skill development and that I am intentional in planning my career to gain exposure and access to job opportunities, roles, people who are going to develop very specific skills that I can then take with me to my next opportunity, which may in turn be a little bit more entrepreneurial than the last. And at some point, you know, I'll be faced with a decision of, hey, am I ready? Do I have the skills to really set up shop on my own and make this successful and provide more opportunities to people coming behind me? Yeah, for sure. That, that piece on intentionality is something that I think is often missed, um, where some people just say, oh, I just want to get this high paying job. When you get the high paying job and it's like, okay, what's what's next? Like, how does it really fit into the overall picture of, okay, I want to develop these specific skills because I'm working toward this end goal. And, and like you alluded to just now, you're very intentional. In fact, um, you're currently pivoting um, in your career. Uh, and that's something that you had planned way in advance. So can you kind of give us more of, you know, your, the way that you look at intentionality of designing your career with some end goal in mind? Yeah, and I, I think um, I think plans planned isn't the right word because you can't plan for anything in your career path. Things yeah. are going to happen, you know. Um, but I think if you are very thoughtful and reflective um, about what your priorities are, is that maybe a work-life balance or a freedom or an autonomy? Is that a scope of control? Is that uh, income level? you know, and really structuring for yourself what those priorities are for you in a future state. And then you you identify um, who are the people who are living in your desired end state now? What types of roles do they have? What's their educational background? Um, and what was their path to get there? And if you can get connected or exposure to some of these individuals, um, I often find uh, people are more often willing to speak with me or provide coaching or mentorship if I just ask, you know, more often than not. 
And so I, I think just piecing together for yourself different paths to that end goal will allow you to understand what are the core competencies required to be successful at this. And once you kind of have outlined what those core competencies are, you can be much more strategic in planning um, what roles will help you build those core competencies. And I think those roles, whether or not you've planned, you know, what the next one might be after that, that role will afford you significant optionality um, having that core competency developed, you know, and then it's just a matter of, are you doing something that fulfills you? And is this the time um, that you need to be doing this or do you, is it time to pivot? Yeah, for sure. And, you know, education does factor into as well. Like you spoke a lot about, you know, making sure that you're plugged into the right mentors and you're quite frankly asking for help. Um, for me as a college senior, that's something that I'm currently seeking out as well, where it's like, you know, I'm about to graduate. There's so many paths, you know, that my life can take. And just finding a way to surround myself with people who have been there or who have seen different paths unfold um, to be as a guiding light. And then, you know, sometimes we think about grad school. So I wanted to talk to you more about your experience at Harvard and what that experience did to maybe form some of your like your current outlook on your career today and maybe on what you previously thought was possible which is now what you think is possible so i just wanted to get a better picture of how that experience um added to you yeah i i honestly would categorize the experience as transformational um in my own personal and professional development um, as well as in kind of the access to opportunities and access to capital that it afforded me. And I, I truly, I'm going to touch on this again, like I think really the exposure piece, you can't become what you don't see and what you don't know. Um, and just sitting in a room with some of the most accomplished, um, hardworking, brilliant students from around the world who are all doing a variety of different jobs and functions and companies, working with the different companies. Um, I think it, it gives you a privilege of really understanding what type of opportunities are available to you and what type of work you can do and what that means and what the implications of that are on your life, your happiness, your fulfillment. Um, and I think that level of exposure, if you go in really open and willing to absorb that and learn, um, allows you to more strategically plan your career in the future. Now, having seen numerous different career paths that you may, may not have been exposed to prior. And I'll give you an example. Um, as you mentioned earlier, I'm pivoting into the private equity space. I didn't know what private equity was prior to business school. I had no one in my immediate network who could who spoke about this or you know had career path in it or anything remotely similar. And so just kind of being exposed to that space, which initially happened for me in business school, set something in my mind as a potential future career path that I didn't know if that would come to fruition, but it is now, and I don't think that would have ever happened. Um, without 
uh, kind of the exposure and experience that I got at Harvard. Yeah, and I can definitely agree with that because a little bit of background myself, I haven't really given much background myself throughout this podcast so far, but you know, I, I was born and raised in the Bahamas and I always knew I wanted to be an engineer, but I mean, all the engineers did like maintenance on our water systems and our electrical systems, but you know, I just, I, I just knew there was something else and not until coming to Morehouse was my, my view was expanded, right? You know, seeing the different students that intern at these big tech companies. And then it's like, wow, like this is a whole world that I've never seen before. And then recently learning about the venture capital space um, and really understanding like how startups are founded, how they're funded. Um, like that's just stuff where it's like in our everyday lives, we don't get to see it. So it's hard for us to ever become it, you know? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, and we can kind of go back, back and forth on this, but, you know, for people that are listening that might feel like they don't have a, a lot of exposure, what are some things that, you know, you would recommend them do? You know, you have reading, you know, maybe plugging into different social groups. Like what, what are some of the recommendations that you have? Yeah, I, I honestly, my recommendation is to experiment as much as possible, as quickly as possible. Um, and I think the foundational piece of that is being willing and able to put yourself outside of your comfort zone. Doing something entirely new that you feel very unprepared for and potentially scared and putting yourself in a position to fail. You know, and, and once you put yourself in these positions, um, you'll either rise to the occasion or you will not, but I guarantee you either way, you'll leave with better learning and understanding that will help guide your next step um, and set you up for future success. And so I, I truly believe the common thread um, between people who can really gain higher levels of exposure is a comfort being outside of their comfort zone you know, and a willingness to just try new things. And that can start with listening to different podcasts, you know, trying to understand what's something that I might be interested in. What's what's something that I'm passionate about, but don't know very much about and am willing to put in the time and the work to learn more. And I often find um, people who are truly passionate about what they do and really enjoy it are usually the best ones at their job too. And, and when they're the best at the job, they the financial upside and compensation comes with that, right? And so it's a virtuous cycle when you can find something that truly brings you passion and fulfillment and happiness. And I don't think you really can find that without some luck unless you are willing to experiment. Yeah. And a lot of people say that luck is in some ways a function of the work that you put in. You know, the more, the harder you work, the more lucky you get, (laughs) you know? That's right. So, you know, moving on from that, I just wanted to get, you know, loosen up a little bit and understand, you know, what, what are some of the things that, you know, now that you've done some things that people would consider their life goals, what challenges you today? Like, at your point, let's just assume that our audience follows these, this advice and they get to a point where they feel like they have the skills that they need. They have the job opportunities in front of them. What challenges 
what, what are some challenges that you currently face that people could kind of prepare for? Or is it just something that you're dealing with now that you could only deal with once you get to this point? I, that's interesting. I, I think um, particularly people of color, once they reach a certain level of status or achievement in corporate America, um, they're going to have to be used to being the only one. Um, and I don't think that means it's okay to accept that as the status quo and never changing. But I do think the more comfortable we can get with that, because the, the more of us there will be represented, right? Because someone has to do it. So if you see some work and you feel um, that it's being pushed on you because you may be the only person of color, or you might be the most capable one of doing that. Someone has to do that work. And so one of the barriers for me was really just readjusting um, my psyche and how I internalized and how I thought about opportunity, particularly if I was the only one, you know, in that space and getting really comfortable with navigating in that but not compromising on my values and what's important to me. And really, I, I found others who have learned this skill and, and typically become the change agents, the tip of the spear for culture and really opening the doors for people behind them. And I think that is critically important because just as I may mentor and pull um, young men and women of color up behind me, it's the same, I was pulled. I was pulled by someone who came before me and, and broke those barriers in a different way. And so I think that's the most critical, important, uh, critically important piece is to really get over our own kind of either insecurity or hesitation of doing things or stepping into spaces that have not been stepped into before um, because someone has to do it and, and why not you? Yeah, for sure. And that's, that's even something that I myself uh, had to overcome. I remember my first internship, I was the only Black intern in like the building, right? And it was like, whoa, what do I do? Like, how do I, how do I shift my communication while still being authentic to myself, you know? So, exactly. yeah. Um, and then finally, I just wanted to give you an opportunity to, you know, any, any words of wisdom that you wanted to leave um, for our audience. Um, you can go on ahead and you know, just provide like a final message. I mean, honestly, I think the best thing I could say is that everyone belongs at the table. Um, and the worst thing that you can do is convince yourself otherwise. Um, I, I, I have now worked with such a diversity of people from all different types of economic backgrounds, educational pedigrees, um, to understand that I can learn something from everyone. And so it's just about identifying what is it that you bring that the next person cannot bring um, and then playing to that strength full out, full out, putting the work and the time in to refine and develop that strength. And so um, I guess my advice is that you do belong at the table and it's really only you that's going to stop you from getting there uh, if you're intentional and smart and put the work behind it. Thank you so much, Kamal. Uh, this has been the Morehouse More Conversations podcast with the Andrew Young Center for Global Leadership.